Welcome to Who's That Girl, a new girl podcast. I'm Kelly. And I'm Kritika. And today we'll be recapping season one of New Girl. If this is your first time listening, Kritika and I originally met through work, but now we consider ourselves long distance best friends. We've bonded over our love of TV and brought you this podcast to recap one of our favorite shows, New Girl. As you may know, our podcast reviews New Girl one episode at a time as we discuss plot and themes from each episode, our favorite Schmidt moment that we call Schmidtisms, a segment we call Not in 2020 to review our not-so-favorite moments, and we also touch on other things from the episode like pop culture, guest stars, and trivia and fun facts. Finally, each podcast wraps up with our episode ratings and favorite characters. But don't worry, we always leave any spoilers for the end. In the season one recap, we're going to review and discuss each major character's story, as well as our favorite moments and ratings through the first season. This season starts with Jess, a newly single teacher, looking for a new apartment after her boyfriend cheats on her. She happens upon an ad for a loft where she's introduced to three men, Schmidt, Nick, and Coach. While Coach does not end up staying in the season, Winston gets introduced as a new loft mate, and together the foursome goes through the ups and downs of life in your early 30s. But taking it a step deeper, we're going to take a look at the characters, Jess, Nick, Winston, Schmidt, Cece, and even Coach, and review themes that stuck out through season one, where we hope to see them go in season two, and then we're going to give each character a fun superlative. We're going to start first with Jess. So this season, Jess first moves into the loft, and she struggles to fit in with everyone, making jokes to feel like one of the family. It takes her a while to get over her breakup with her longtime boyfriend, Spencer, but she's able to do so by all of the loftmates and Cece bonding together. As she becomes more secure in her place in the loft and herself, she finds Paul, who's the music teacher at the school that she teaches at, and they end up dating until Paul is ready for something more serious than Jess. She struggles a bit to find her footing after that breakup, investing more time into strengthening her relationships with the loftmates by throwing Schmidt a party, trying to help Nick with Julia, and trying to prove to Nick that people are inherently good. While she almost tries to hook up with Schmidt, she eventually meets Russell, the dad of one of her students, and navigates a relationship with him and his child until a run-in with his ex-wife makes her realize that she wants more passion out of her relationship. After a quick backslide with Paul, She tries to help Nick avoid making the mistake of moving in with Caroline, but she eventually realizes that she has to let him go. So one of our major themes that we found through season one, which we've talked about in our podcast, is her need to control everything and make everything right for everyone. Yeah, just through her ups and downs of the season and relationships and everything, she most observably was just trying to have control over different situations and try to guide what was happening and fix things for everybody, even when things weren't always wrong. Yeah, like I think I saw it like really early, even in like episode four when we were doing this, because she's so pushy about fixing things with Nick. And that's like very early into their relationship. We've been only seeing them for four episodes and I know a little bit more time has passed in the show, but when she sees him naked, she immediately needs to fix it, even though what Nick needs is for it to just be ignored and go away. So I feel like she continues that through the whole season. Yeah, I mean, I think too in Wedding, I mean, she was even in the photo booth or like trying to fix everything that was wrong with Nick. I mean, she got kind of upset at one point, but then was like, no, I'm going to go ahead and fix this. And so she kind of was inserting, she was kind of asked to insert herself there, but then she also was inserting herself further than it probably needed to be. Yeah. And like, when we look at 
even much, much later, like backslide. She gets Paul and Jen back together because Paul says that he's like in love with Jen and it was just a mistake and all that, which is great. But when she's talking to Jen, she goes, oh, you guys are meant to be like, I totally see that. And she has no idea what the relationship is like. Everything she's gotten is from like 10 minutes of conversation with Paul. And she's so confident to push Paul to propose to Jen. Like, I didn't understand how she felt like she was this subject matter expert on like everybody. Yeah. Or yeah, that was a weird moment to kind of like insert herself into that and be so present for that moment. Like she could have handed off, you know, she didn't really need to like guide Paul to do that really clearly. But like, even there was a whole episode called Control, which it focused on Schmidt trying to have more control. And it was really like the main plot was Schmidt. But even in our podcast, we talked about how it really was also Jess that needed the control and Jess wasn't getting what she needed. So literally a whole episode devoted to this, but definitely a theme throughout the whole whole season. Another theme that we saw of Jess this season is just kind of her thoughts on sex, but then also how she kind of met and had relationships with these different men or just what kind of sexual encounters she had. She was really unsure of certain things at the beginning of the season where she was not really sure what a rebound was. But then by Valentine's Day, she was like, I want a one night stand. And she was like super ready. So, I mean, maybe that's just like the natural progression for her, but it also was a little like, what is your experience, Jess? And like, what are you comfortable with? And I mean, even with Paul, she like went and got the thing at the sex store, the like starfish strappy lingerie. And so at times she seems very naive and at time, at times she seems really not. So it's been an interesting progression for Jess. Yeah. Like I feel like they made it such a big plot point. Like even like you're saying in the like first episode is when they talk about this like rebound and she has no idea how to have a rebound. Exactly. Like she makes it sound like she is like very inexperienced and she kind of alludes to that, like you said later, but maybe it is natural to your point and maybe it's just kind of like they needed to wrap up that storyline and kind of move on with the rest of Jess. And so it kind of felt a bit rushed where we didn't really see her become comfortable with a lot of things. And then suddenly she just was ready for one night stands. And, you know, like, even though it was her first one, like in that episode, you know, Cece calls out that she she could have emotional attachment to a shoe on the side of the road, which was a great line. But yeah, I think it's really interesting to watch how she changes her views through this, but then also how her views on sex for other people are like in secrets. The reason Cece says that she doesn't share about Schmidt is because Jess is very judgy and like anything that she has told her Jess has kind of judged how her take on boys is and so it's interesting that like she's able to kind of progress her thoughts on the matter but she's still kind of holding on reservations for other people or like where that double standard kind of comes into play. Yeah and in a way that's like the control showing up again right where if she doesn't think it's best for somebody then she's going to make sure that person like really knows what she thinks and that she's going to be upset with that person if they're not doing what she thinks is the proper thing to do related to sex or related to anything, but also related to sex and the relationships that those people are having. So it's just, it's been an interesting season on this topic. I think we'll have to see as we go into season two, like how that kind of shapes out 
Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think another place where like your point where that control and sex like kind of intermingle is like her whole thing about Cece and Schmidt, because even though she's so mad in secrets, if you actually watch the season, Cece mentions that she's into Schmidt in Thanksgiving and just raises no red flags, doesn't say anything about, oh, don't sleep with my roommate. You know, like she's okay with it. She knows that Cece feels that way in that episode. And like in Fancy Man Part 2, when we were talking about it, we said that we didn't think that Jess heard that Cece said that she was seeing someone. But actually, I think in that scene, she does hear it and she doesn't say anything. So it's weird that she's like so angry about it in secrets. But I think it is exactly what you're saying, where it's that mix of she doesn't think it's the right fit. Maybe she didn't think Cece would actually go through with it or something. But it's just that like... Jess knows best attitude always. I mean, it does kind of have a rhyme to it. So maybe that's why she likes it. Jess knows best. <laughs> She'll probably turn it into a song. I, I'm ready. I'm ready for that song. <laughs> the other thing too was Jess and the loftmate. So clearly this season she had just moved in. It's it's maybe in the span of the season. It's what, been like a year, maybe? I don't know. Maybe a couple months at least. And she getting to know everyone and the friendships that kind of evolved with everything has been really nice to see. So as much as she likes to insert herself and add her commentary here and there, it's really nice to see the bonds that she's making with these loft mates and how they're there. She's not only there to support them, but they're there to support her. So that's been really nice to see. And to see how they're like changing each other, right? Because Maybe Schmidt's not the character that we'd want everyone to change into, but when she goes through the story of the 50, she's like embracing her inner Schmidt. She even pauses and has to ask herself, like, what is she doing? But then I feel like in Valentine's Day, she's redoing that or she's doing that again. She's embracing her inner Schmidt because she comes out like it's Valentine's Day player or something like that. And it's it's fun to see how they're kind of influencing each other and like what happens when you do live with a person like you pick up some of their mannerisms you like accommodate to think about other people so it's really cool to watch that play out over the course of the season yeah and and with schmidt as well i just love too the moments where jess and schmidt were like playing a little joke on nick and trying to be like oh like you just do this nick you're like little moments like that like it's not only just like plot points and whatnot and like i think you're totally right though she was doing things in ways that would emulate some of her new friends, but like sometimes was her the better, sometimes not, maybe not. But then just the way that they would bond up and even like her and Winston, her and Nick, her and Schmidt, she had little things with everybody and everyone like, I even love too for Winston, how Winston got to the point when he was the Theodore K. Mullins character in that scene where everyone's trying to judge everybody. Winston went straight to it and was like, Jess, don't act like I don't, I'm not here all day. I don't have a job. I hear through the walls. Like I know what you're doing. So I just love that. Like it got to the point even where they felt so comfortable to like call each other out on their, on their shit, basically. It's been so nice to watch because sometimes you see, like, even though there were a lot of fights in this season, nothing was something that would break the friendships up and watching Jess come into some established friendships And like we said in like the beginning, she does kind of, you know, find she's still finding her way through it. She makes some jokes where they all stop and say, why did you just say that? (laughs) But, you know, through the whole thing, you can see that she brings value to their life and that 
they bring value to hers. Like even in Sia, when she's talking to Nick, she says, I'll be okay because I met you. So we can see how those relationships in that, let's say, year have already impacted her life and theirs so much. No, definitely. It's 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 quite sweet but and quite exciting to see where the friendship is going to go. Exactly. So just some quick funny moments or sounds and like callbacks that happened with Jess through the season. We obviously know that she like meep meeped at a coyote in the finale. And I thought it was so funny that in episode five in CC crashes when she's trying to make her way through the club and she's talking about the traffic patterns. She like beep beeps her way through and knowing that the roadrunner on the cartoon actually does say beep beep it was kind of cool like I'm sure the writers didn't really think anything of it but it was fun watching the whole thing back to be like oh she kind of does something similar in all these places yeah I also think too as far as like her sound effects go like I think her songs kind of fall into this because when she sings surrender or when she is just singing little songs to herself like in the first pilot episode she sings to herself you know and a lot you know she sings has little songs so That to me is also like fun to see the continuation of how they did say she sings a lot and she actually did kind of sing throughout the whole season. I actually would love to see it more in season two. Like I feel like, yes, she sang a lot in like little portions or they made the storyline about it. Like Bully, it's about her singing and getting bullied for it. But I almost like I kind of expected it to be even more throughout the season, like a little bit every episode. And maybe that would get annoying if it were to come true. But I kind of hope I see it even more in season two. No, that would be I would love to see more more songs from Jess. Other hopes that we have for Jess in season two is really that she just kind of controls less and that she doesn't insert herself into situations in the same way as she kind of did this first season. Maybe it's still there a little bit because at this point it kind of seems central to Jess's character to like do that kind of thing. But we're kind of just hoping in season two it happens at a lesser degree. Maybe being able to reflect and see where people ask stuff of her. Like you were saying at wedding, she was asked to insert herself into that. Nick kept calling for Jess and like knowing that there's a balance between helping a friend and kind of pushing your way in because you think it's best. I think we'll see her get there because of how we end season one, where she understands that while she may not agree with what's best for Nick, she has to support him through it. And I hope that kind of stays central to who Jess is, like where she can still, you know, be pushy because that is, to your point, her personality, but in a way that it's actually something people appreciate and not like an extra burden on herself or like when they don't follow what she's saying, she doesn't get angry about it. Yeah. Or like kind of have a temper tantrum because like I feel like in control her whole reaction to Schmidt about like the dresser or the armoire type of cabinetry that was brought into the loft was a temper tantrum. Like I mean Schmidt as well had a temper tantrum so it wasn't just Jess but Jess had a temper tantrum so I just was like hoping to see that a little less. So With Jess as a whole, like we said, we're going to give everyone a fun superlative. So for Jess, we are going to award her a most likely to give you a handmade gift. And obviously, you guys have a little bit of an idea if you've seen the whole season where we're talking about or where we came up with this. Back in episode nine, the 23rd, Jess wrote a little gift for Paul that was a handmade weird awesome sex 
coupon <laughs> that she made and she was going to give that to Paul. They went through a whole gift giving situation, but Jess is just the one too, where she's going to make you something handmade and it's going to be from the heart. So that's Jess, most likely to give you a handmade gift. So now getting into Nick, Nick starts out still hung up on Caroline, his longtime girlfriend, but now ex. Uh, he does find closure a few times through the first few episodes as he kind of finds out why she dumped him, but then later realizes that she had another boyfriend, so he she actually wasn't interested in him. And then later, after a few awkward run-ins with Jess, including her seeing him naked and laughing, he starts to kind of get used to her and enjoy her presence in the loft and his life. And she even helped Nick deal with a potential health scare. This season, we also see Nick begin to contemplate where his life is going. Uh, he had we learned he dropped out of law school. He's kind of he's kind of unhappy with his job as a bartender. And while he does find a stable relationship with Julia, it's short-lived, his anxiety kind of sets in, and it lets him spiral after she sends him a cactus. It was a very defining moment. He ends up fighting with both Schmidt and Winston over different things in this season, both finances or just about, like, dating styles or sex and whatnot. And while he ends up later dating a string of college girls after Julia, he eventually makes his way back to Caroline and decides the best next step for him is to move in with her again, but realizes at the last minute of the season, it's the wrong move. And he's ready to move back into the loft with all the loft mates. So one thing that I'm sure if you've been listening to our podcast, you really have seen that we've pointed out the theme of depression for Nick and not to sound too down about it, but there's something that for a while he was, that was very defining for him. He especially said, you know, I'm not okay right now on the beach in the one scene and injured. He goes, I'm not okay right now. And that was also, I feel like a very defining moment for him and really gave away that theme, but it was present the whole season. Yeah, like even when he is talking in the episode before that, I think, um, or a couple episodes before that to Cliff at Julia's office, he talks about hitting rock bottom and how he didn't want to work for someone else and then ended up working for someone else. It feels like he doesn't love his life. Like you kind of mentioned, he's kind of unhappy with his job as a bartender. And he's still also, though, not ready to make a change. So it's kind of just like wallowing in what it would be for most of the season with a few notable exceptions. I feel like he, you know, didn't really feel that way a lot with Julia or like even at the end we talked about, and you pointed out that the reason him and Caroline could get back together is because he had grown. And I feel like that was like starting to come out of this season long depression or like just being down on himself. Yeah. Being down on himself is maybe the better way to say it because I mean, you even see all the way into tomatoes though, as much as he was definitely starting to grow and kind of come out of it, he was still in tomatoes. Like it's fine. I'm going to give up on women and put my energy into tomatoes. And he's like spitting on the tomato plant and you're just like, uh, okay, Nick. Okay. But even, even like early on, you know, after really seeing Caroline, at the wedding and learning that she had a boyfriend. I think that's kind of really where it all starts. And like that spiral is happening because then one of the next episodes, he like doesn't get a haircut for a long time. He's just like smelly and he's like not really interested in like 
cleaning himself up. He also goes through a whole thing too, where Russell's really exciting to him and like the true man or that the, what Russell represents to Nick, but then, you know, didn't, wasn't able to get a cell phone. So there was just these little moments that while they played it off as like hilarious, it's, it was like kind of down for Nick. And although the wedding is probably the first time that we see in like normal time, him breaking down about Caroline, we do get flashbacks throughout the whole season of him, like, you know, drunk calling Caroline and crying. We saw like in the very end of the season, we see that video of him, hair all grown out, like being upset and collecting his own tears in a jar. And Caroline, I think is a big source of that for him because We've talked a lot about how timeline's a little bit unclear of when what happens because in the pilot, we find out that Caroline had dumped him about six months before the start of that. But obviously, he didn't drop out of law school at that time. So I think a lot of the things seem to be kind of related. Yeah, that's probably very true. I mean, Caroline was really a defining relationship for him, you know? So we we get a lot into Caroline at the beginning of the season, at the end of the season. But in the middle... You know, he he had kind of a one night stand with Amanda and had that experience. But then really, he did have a pretty okay relationship for a while with Julia. And I say okay, because I don't know that I feel that it was super healthy because there were he wasn't really introducing her to his friends. He thought she was kind of too good for him at many times, but he seemed happy while he was dating Julia. I agree. I think when we first went over some of those episodes, I called it like a stable relationship for Nick. And he's so into her. Like before he finds out about her anger management issues and before all the like Jess and Julia stuff, in that first episode, we meet her, the story of the 50. Like, yeah, it could be kind of just okay because he's not introducing her to his friends. But I also feel like that's kind of like the protection aspect where like I want to protect this relationship and my friends are – people who have a douchebag jar and sing around the apartment. The Winston thing was always a little bit weird in that episode because, you know, Winston is his best friend from forever. So I don't know why he would keep Winston from meeting Julia. But on the whole, like, I think that wasn't so much a red flag, but all the games they were playing, like literally right after Nick says he doesn't want to play games, Julia says she's dating other people. And both of them know that this isn't really happening, but both of them aren't able and vulnerable enough to say until later in the episode that this is a space they want to be in. So I do think that was a good relationship for him. I wish it didn't get followed by the string of 20-year-olds that he starts dating because of Dirk, our possible least favorite character. <laughs> but I, I think Julia was good for him. And even though it didn't end up well, I think it taught him some good things. I think with the friends, it was less... Like, it's one thing to, yeah, wait and to tell your friends about your significant other your and your boyfriend, girlfriend, partner, but it's not that he only waited. He waited, and then when he finally was introducing them, was trying to, like, play it off to Julia, like, oh, they're not my real friends, or, like, they don't know me at all, and they have no idea who I am, and, and even, like, with Benjamin, which, again, Benjamin, another fa- least favorite character ever, but with Benjamin, you know, he goes, oh, Nick, how's your mom, like, what's how's Chicago doing you know and Nick's like oh you know you just like ruined it for me you know because that's how he was trying to lie like that's I think you're right on the part though about vulnerability is because he was trying to seem so cool to Julia um it was stable it was an important relationship he needed to go through but because he was trying to seem so cool he wasn't letting his whole self be in the relationship and 
it wasn't something that it was going to end well from that perspective. Because I mean, getting a cactus from Julia, which like, it was weird that Julia sent a cactus. Very, very weird. But then Nick let that like totally spiral him out of control. But then he ended up back with Caroline. And I think that was, I'm glad the season ended without him with Caroline in a way, because I'm glad that he isn't going to be with her. I think it was done really, really quickly where he just shows back up and it's like, oh, that's done. Like I'm, I'm staying here. But Caroline clearly has not been a good influence for him. So maybe as we go into season two, if Caroline does come back or like see how that comes through, like that'll be really interesting to see, but it'll be really interesting to see as well. Just like Nick post Caroline, because this also seemed like it was the final straw. Yeah, I also I agree that it felt really quick to me. I wish there had been some more time to or at least we'd able to see that conversation between Nick and Caroline to see why it failed or why he chose not to go through with it. Because when we left him, he was very like we called out. They said, I love you to each other. They were moving in together. It was a big step. And I'm also glad that we don't go into season two with Caroline because it doesn't feel like like you're saying this is the last draw. It doesn't feel like she's going to come back or if she does, it's not going to be immediately. It's going to be down the road. And I like getting that fresh start. I like looking at season two, being able to have like, I don't know, different like challenges. And because although Caroline was present in the beginning and the end, she kind of like permeated all of the episodes just because of that, because it was this, oh, I lived with Caroline. Oh, this happened with Caroline. And it'll be nice to be able to move on from that. But like you said, it was very quick and I wish like we had kind of been able to stretch that over two episodes where he like the desert and everything was 23 and then like him breaking up with Caroline and moving back was really most of 24. So overall still really happy that that's over and hopefully he can pivot from this into more mature relationships with people who are meeting him where he's at. So they're both putting in that effort and is more the right person for him. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think you're totally right. She, her presence was definitely throughout the whole season. And, you know, played a part in his experiences and feelings with Julia. And, you know, we talked about Nick finding his person. And if you've also listened to the podcast, you know that Kelly and I really like Nick with Jess. But through season one, I feel like he was so mean to Jess throughout so many different episodes like obviously they had a good connection because at the end of the season you know they were talking about oh you can't live without me like I need you or I met you so I'm okay but even in the very very first episode he starts off by like mocking Jess by saying oh I should be more like you I should sing I should do this and it's someone he just met and even if like you're okay being more mean to strangers or something like that you're living with this person and it's been a couple weeks and I don't understand how he was just so mean. I mean, he's so like over all of these episodes, he makes these little snide comments. And like we talk about his being down on himself. And I feel like he takes that out on Jess more than most people on the season. I mean, I I noticed that as well. And I honestly feel like that is a reaction of Jess having more having more control over things we I mean we noted it's a theme for her to kind of go too far and like want so much control but because Nick almost feels like he 
probably doesn't have any control over his life because he dropped out of law school. Yes, that was his choice. But like the reasons he maybe chose to do that were things that he felt he couldn't control. He's a bartender because that's just what he can do. He doesn't really like push himself out. I mean, even later, like when they finally have that fight at the end of when Russell and Jess are breaking up, she shouts at Nick, like you have so much potential, you know, but like, that's something that I think Nick sees about himself but then doesn't put it into, doesn't, doesn't know what to do about it, essentially. And Jess, even if like, she's going to mess up, Jess is going to do something like she could fail, but Jess is going to fail hard and she's going to go for it. But Nick, Nick's just not going to do it at all because he doesn't want to fail because he's scared of it almost like, that's my take. That's (laughs) Dr. Kelly analyzing Nick. (laughs) I think you're spot on because if we actually think like, just says that to Nick in Injured. She's like, oh, I'm Nick Miller and I don't do anything because he accuses her of not getting real and like incapable of that. And so she's like, well, you don't do anything. And he st- actually says, right? Like, I'm not going to do something unless I know what the outcome is going to be. So I feel like you're spot on in that. And I think there's probably got to be moments in there that we don't see where they have a better relationship because I can't imagine – her wanting to be in his life so much if she feels he's being mean so maybe there are things in there that we're not seeing too because he tries to like watch out for her too like from the pilot when he goes to the restaurant and then later like in cc crashes he's trying to tell her that like she doesn't have to take care of everyone and i think that's like his concern peeking through too i just wish we got like more of that across the season as well yeah no that would have been nice to see But where we also see that kind of play out is like Nick with the other loft mates, like he obviously gets into this like fight with Winston, fight with Schmidt, like we've said, over finances. But they also like he's also there for them in the middle, too. Like he's white in the beginning when Winston's trying to get Schmidt to give him his room. He's like siding with Winston, which I thought was cute, like being there for your friend in that way. He like shares a frozen waffle. He he's like able to like balance that. And I feel like we've talked about all the fights through the season on the podcast and like how they're always able to resolve them, which I think is a great thing. Like we don't let them fester for, you know, half a season where people aren't talking to each other. They're able to like move past that because they are friends and they have had this like relationship for X number of years. Yeah, I know. In in comparing Nick's new friendship with Jess to Nick's friendship with Winston and Schmidt, is very interesting because with Jess, it's like he's kind of mean consistently. And while he's maybe still kind of mean or like not mean, but just like brash or like quick with Winston and Schmidt, it comes back a lot quicker with Winston and Schmidt or it comes with a different tone because Winston is his childhood best friend from Chicago. Schmidt is his college roommate that he like went through the like all of college with it seems and so there's just much that they bond with and go through one thing I did think though with Schmidt that was like kind of hard or like a little too far was the time where he was where Schmidt was trying to say like I bought you a new blanket and he goes my grandma made that blanket like I can never get it back and contrast that though with like Winston and Nick on the rooftop talking about how they're like well this is my friends, isn't it? Like, this is just who we are. This is the people that support me. And so it's a matter of Nick with his friends, Winston and Schmidt, they would really do anything for them, but, or for him, but then they, the, the, the bond is just totally different. 
So it's interesting to see that long-term friendship play out. And hopefully we'll get to a point where we actually get to see that with Jess and Nick too. We don't know how long a season runs in their world, but it definitely feels like it's quite long. Season one feels like they went for forever. And I think it'll be great to kind of continue to see that into season two, into seeing like how his relationships with Jess and the other loftmates continue to grow. Yeah, no, I'm I'm excited to see more and get more backstory on this long friendship with Winston and Schmidt. And then also excited to see her, his friendship with Jess kind of like expand, you know? And, and I think especially, I mean, obviously by the end of the season, Nick and Jess too were very close to the point where they really, Jess's like security with him was like, oh, it's okay. I just, just have knowing you is okay. I want you to be happy essentially. So I feel like even that friendship level with Nick by the end of the season was really strong. And so I think going into season two, we're probably going to see a lot less of Nick kind of like being harsh with Jess and that friendship. So I'm really, I'm really hoping to see that as well. And I think that like, it seems like he's only happiest right now when he's in a committed relationship. And so We hope that he stops basing his value off of it because it does kind of feel like if he's in this committed relationship, he seems like he's better, like, you know, I'm happy because I'm with this person. And while we do hope he gets that, we don't want him to only feel happiness due to that. Yeah, very much. A fun thing we saw and we wanted to track a little bit in this season was Nick and what the internet calls his turtle face. I like to think of it more as his like big frown. I'm trying to like emulate it now, but (laughs) we saw that come through this season the first time in episode six and was very exciting to have that come through. But then um, he continues to kind of make it small throughout this whole season. And it's been, it was really fun to see. And I think even in episode 24, he actually gets called out for being like turtle faced or something like that. And I think like this Nickism, there's like the other part of like the hood thing in like the pilot when they're like discussing whether Jess can move in or not. He like shrinks into his like the hood of his hoodie and Schmidt's like, oh no, he's like hooding up or like he's going into his hood or something. And it actually does kind of come back in a couple other episodes, which I like remembered the turtle face or like the frown that you're talking about, but I didn't really remember this hood being a thing that was present. I mean, I also was like not really looking at that closely, but then when we went back, it's like, oh yeah, Nick does have a hood pretty frequently and enough that it is a trend for him and how he kind of likes to think he's hiding into his jacket. I mean, I I personally know that feeling because sometimes when you just put a hoodie on or a jacket, you just want to like, close the hood over your face (laughs) (laughs) lastly with nick though our superlative for him that we're going to award is most likely to not drink from the sink (laughs) if you remember nick has a fear of tap water and so this is something we thought would be very applicable to him yeah i mean i don't know if that is the most ridiculous one in that list but (laughs) i think it is perfect of a superlative for nick So moving on to Winston next. In this season, Winston comes back to the U.S. after two years of playing professional basketball in Latvia. 
only to find out that obviously with Jess's arrival, their loft dynamics have changed. So he does warm up to Jess, and it feels like he can relate to her feeling like she's just figuring things out. So he basically spends the first half of the season kind of being the support person for the rest of the loft mates, including when he brings over scissors to help Jess after she ruins a student's science project at school. Through Schmidt's holiday party, he's able to find a job nannying for Schmidt's boss's son, and later he's able to get what he calls his dream job, working under the sports radio personality Joe Napoli. He also, in the season, reconnects with Shelby, a girl who he was previously interested in, and ends up in a serious relationship with her by the end of the season. So... It was a little bit harder to find like season one themes for Winston because we almost felt like one of the themes is that he didn't really have a storyline for a lot of the episodes, which was so frustrating because Winston's great. And the story that he did have was really being the friend or being the additional like add on to a scene, which I mean, glad we got to see what we did of him and glad, you know, he did end with a very successful relationship. I'm very like pretty sure that at the end of season one, Winston is the only one still in a relationship because Nick and Caroline broke up, Jess and Russell broke up, and Jess and Paul broke up, and Schmidt and Cece broke up, and Winston is like, me and Shelby, we maybe not see her all the time because for whatever reason, she's not important enough to the show to keep her coming back pretty consistently, but they haven't said anything to the contrary, so... There's good things for Winston, I feel for sure, throughout this whole season, but then they're just kind of tacked onto him rather than purposefully guiding him through the season. Yeah, he definitely feels like the fourth character and how they are treating him in this season. And I think the reason we don't even get to see a lot with him and Shelby is because there's no drama associated with it. And that's like a conscious choice by writers to not include drama in the relationship, which is great for Winston because obviously having a stable relationship with less drama is better in the real world. But that's, I think, part of the reason why we don't really get to see that play out where Schmidt and Cece get bigger storylines. Like even Nick and the college girls get a bigger storyline sometimes than Winston does. Yeah, I even think too, like, yes, we were getting to see more about his job and like see more about his career progression too. But he, I don't know, in a way was... Joe Napoli was such a polarizing character and the scenes that they showed with Winston and Joe Napoli were like, why did that just happen? What is going on with this? Like they were kind of silly and like berserk, you know, like it was funny to see some of them, but it also was just very puzzling. You're like, why is Winston doing this with his boss? How did we get to this point? Why like, all the th- scenes, too, became less about Winston and, and Napoli at the radio show, but more like out in the world doing weird things. And it just, I don't know, like they tried to give Winston some story. They tried to give him like, oh, he's doing this thing at the radio. But then it's just like, but why? Like it didn't give enough that I felt like a true connection or like Winston mentioned, oh, it's my dream job. But I didn't really feel like, oh, it was like this is what you really wanted to do? When did you determine that? So it just, it felt like they were trying, but it was a little short on what we could have had. And specifically on that dream job, I feel like he started off when he first came back, like there was a whole episode about, you know, his interview, I think it was episode four. And if that was his dream job, I don't know why we didn't see 
things leading up to it where it's like, oh, like I wish I was doing more in sports or like, oh, you know, like mentioning Joe Napoli's name. And I, I get it kind of because that means they probably just hadn't thought it out at that point of exactly what that would look like. But I just I feel like that contributes to his lack of story because we didn't get to see it build up to that. Whereas like for someone like Nick, Dirk's coming in in episode 18 framed how 19 and 20 and 21 went. But we didn't really see as much of that for Winston. Yeah, no, I very much agree. And it's just like like you're saying, they they set the stage that Winston was trying to find a job. Like he played Latvian basketball and that career ended and now he's back in the United States. But it's like, okay, what he needs to find a new job. That's important. But like there's just a lot of different avenues that manifested in this season but none of it was cohesive enough that it felt like there was a like a trend like you said like he wanted to do sports or he wanted to be in radio or wanted to work with joe napoli specifically or wanted to work with kids like he was a nanny he also helped with bells like that was really cool like i feel like we could have seen his career go in that direction and do more with kids in that way but we didn't yeah, and you know, you mentioned Bells, and I feel like that's really the start of Winston's friendship with Jess. I feel like, and we kind of said this in the the paragraph description of Winston, but I feel like he's kind of starting over. He doesn't really know what to do. You kind of see it in episode two when he puts on the hat that when Jess kind of exclaims that, that he kind of relates because he doesn't know what he's doing after basketball. And I feel like episode seven is really his start of his friendship with Jess because they have this independent thing where it's not just, oh, like your boyfriend has to be friends with us too and we need to pick him. But hey, you as a person are my friend and like the tinkle tonkle talk and all that stuff. Like I feel like that was like a pivotal relationship for them. And to your point, he could have done more with kids, but we don't really get to see that ambition or anything. So I at least I'm glad that we got to see him start to develop those friendships. Yeah, no, same. I, that was the saving grace. And also, and Winston is a hilarious character. So at least that part has, that was really the consistency, I think, with Winston is that he was coming back with those comebacks to, to Nick with his scarecrow. And like, this is like Martin Scorsese's Wizard of Oz. I loved that. And just how he was able to play with the different loft mates and like work with them was really great. So really going into season two, I hope to see not only more of the friendship dynamic, but really more of who Winston is and see more of him in the story and see how hopefully the writers are making it like a consistent choice of, Hey, he's going to work and try to find a job for this because he's really interested in this, you know? And so kind of more with the career aspirations, but also tied with his backstory and kind of having a consistent theme. Yeah. And like, if he's going to stay in this committed relationship with Shelby, which we're all for, I think that including her just in the background of scenes, you know, they just walking or Shelby and I did this, you know, we talked about how new girl in previous episodes, they sometimes will introduce a storyline, then kind of forget about it and then bring it back up as, Hey, here's this person again. And sometimes it feels like Winston is kind of treated like that where we don't get anything and then we get suddenly like, oh, don't forget, I was doing this this whole time. And like, that's how I felt about his nannying because they never really made it clear he was going to be a nanny. So I really hope, like you say, there's going to be more about Winston's backstory. Who is Winston? How did he get here? Like in between college and Latvian basketball, what did he do? You know, or was he there the whole time? And 
find out more about like what he wants to do like is this if this is his dream job what's what does that look like going forward yeah no agreed very much on the same page so his superlative that we awarded him was most likely to have a nightlight this one comes from episode 24 when they go out to the desert he's afraid of the dark which is an interesting concept because when he slept out in his car on the beach in the dark he was totally fine but apparently going out to the desert will kind of scare him at night but um we still thought that this was a superlative that really matched winston so next we're gonna get into schmidt and schmidt starts off this whole show uh being the embodiment of a character that needs a douchebag jar <laughs> which is where they he has to give money to a jar when he's being a douche. Uh, he's always tends to make iffy jokes. He's chasing after women, kind of like their objects. And so that's part of the need for this douchebag jar as well. Over the season two, we see him casually hook up with many women, one of which is even his boss at work, where he's been objectified there he's the only man in the office and then he plays characters for different holidays like sexy santa or sexy mlk very odd choices but then he later too was exploring how he had a need for control and kind of the nuances with his personality throughout the whole season has seen and met Cece, jess's friend and so originally schmidt is purely interested her because she's a beautiful model and eventually in the season they start hooking up and it's a truly sex only thing like I wouldn't even call it a friends with benefits because they weren't super friends they were just kind of like they knew each other and so it was a sex only thing and later as they're going out Schmidt and Cece really evolve into this strong couple and we were really excited for them we were kind of rooting for them to like continue evolving their relationship but unfortunately at the end of the season schmidt's insecurities get the better of him he pushes cc away before she can actually leave him so schmidt obviously very very important character in this whole season and one of the biggest themes him with him though especially with the douchebag jar is his douchiness (laughs) he is constantly saying questionable things (laughs) A hundred percent. Like even if we look back to when he goes to give Cece this perfume and she's doing this like before and after ad for some diet pill, which he automatically recognizes, which was interesting. And this girl comes up and says that she's the before of the before and after diet pill. And Schmidt's response is, of course you are. Like, Schmidt, why? A lot of the season was me asking Schmidt, why? Same, because... There were moments where I'm like, Schmidt, why? But then also moments too where it's like, okay, that's a funny joke. And then it's like, well, wait, that's more just being a jerk. (laughs) Like douchiness to me is almost synonymous with being a jerk. And like, it's just played off in such a way that's like, ooh, like you're just very full of it type of thing. And I feel like Schmidt's character is so funny and so good hearted in many scenes and many situations. But then like- it just goes too far sometimes or it becomes a little bit more uh, too much about like someone's body or his own body or different things he gets obsessed with. Yeah, there's definitely a lot Schmidt puts in. And like you said, there is a really fine line between being funny and just being too much and kind of 
almost mean about things. I think one of the funnier moments for me that was like douchey, but still fun was like having the the bathroom products, like the mango chutney or the sculpting chutney that he uses for his hair, presumably. And even later, I think there was some kind of other conditioner that was like really fancy and, and just different things that he's, he has available. But then there's things too, that he, um, I don't know, just like moments like that. And like when it's related to more like the products and whatnot, it was really quite funny. Yeah, I think the the line there is that when he's just kind of being over the top by himself, it comes across as funny. But when he does it as the at the expense of someone else, that's when it comes across as like not so funny, but more mean. Like we get why the writers wrote it that way, but also like in real life, that would be kind of hurtful for some of the stuff that he says. And even his own body, like you were saying, like in that same episode, the 23rd, he like is sitting there and like trying to deal with like Santa lap or something like that he calls it and Cece comes over and compliments his body and he's doesn't care about the other part of what she says he only cares about her thinking that he has a hot body so I think like a lot of it stems from his own control issues which we kind of touched on a little bit when we talked about Jess and through the episodes in this podcast so far but overall like it is pivotal to who he is today, which is why the entire introduction of the douchebag jar even came in, which we kind of noticed in the first episode. They give it its own episode in the story of the 50 to kind of explain what's going on. And we see a lot of mentions and things that got him douchebag jar penalties or something. But I actually thought this was going to be a much bigger part of the show in season one than it actually ended up being. Yeah, especially for how influential it's been in recent pop culture of like every like the concept of the douchebag jar very much came from new girl you know or at least the popularization of it came from new girl and it's not very prominent in this first season it comes up like you said in like the one the story of the 50 it comes like like a reprise of the douchebag jar but like there's a few other moments early on in the season where they're like jar jar and like trying to indicate like put money in the jar but then it doesn't towards the end of the season, like it just doesn't come back. And it and it's not because Schmidt stops being a douche because he he's not quite there. He still is kind of douchey in, in very in, in a lot of different moments. So it's it's more like they've kind of just dropped what this juice bag jar is. Yeah, I mean, like there's so many moments in his relationship with Cece that should have like earned him jar penalties and like through the whole relationship, he like fetishizes Cece and he's kind of racist about it. And like in the terms that Cece defines racism, especially because like she'll call Kyle racist, but then Schmidt does the same thing and she doesn't find that bad. So like from the way she pr- describes it, like I feel like Schmidt is really douchey in that relationship too, but it somehow kind of works for him because I guess Cece's into it. Yeah, it's it's very confusing from Cece, but Schmidt at least is consistently himself. <laughs> and so he he is who he is with Cece, but Cece doesn't seem to mind all of it. There's things that she does mind that then later calls out, but like for him, he really just, he stands up for what he wants and kind of gets it, you know, or like does says what he wants to say and doesn't have any repercussions with it. So it's weird. Yeah, I mean, at that point that you just made, does what he wants and then doesn't have any repercussions, I feel like that's the Nadia stuff. Like, he and Cece end this relationship, he has sex with Nadia, and there's no issues because Cece comes and says, 
I like you. And he's like, yeah, me too. Like, let's do this. Which is surprising because you would expect that to have more of a impact into their relationship. Yeah, I'm still baffled that Schmidt literally broke his penis, which, okay, hilarious, really funny. Like, what? How? But the situation of how he broke his penis is he had sex with Nadia in the middle of dating or sort of hooking up with Cece and did it really despite Cece. And like you said, like what came out of that was, oh, we're together, you know? And and the whole time before that, Cece is like, Schmidt, this is sex only. I don't like you. Like, this is not romantic at all. And Schmidt, and I was making, trying to make the point very frequently that I'm like, Schmidt clearly likes Cece more than Cece likes him. Like, I was very, I strongly believe that, but like, it wasn't, and then suddenly he sleeps with Nadia and then suddenly Cece's like, wait, I'm admitting my feelings. I, it just like, didn't really flow. Like it kept it fun. It kept it interesting. But like it was said, the repercussions were not really present. Even at the end of the season, Schmidt then has too many insecurities where he thinks Cece's going to leave him. That actually is like, if you listen to our episode 24, you know as well, I love the white fang scene. I think it was one of the best scenes in all of New Girl. It's the best. But at the same time, if you kind of like think how we got to that point, like it is it's Schmidt's insecurities. That's like, wait, if you leave first, you'll be happy. Like you're never going to want to be with me he was making that decision all by himself. And like, I, I really almost don't understand why that switched for him or like what caused that to happen. And it's really, he was so insecure that just a text from someone at CC's work, like another model, like CC didn't have any control over that. And he wasn't like, to me, Schmidt's just like not in a place quite yet where he can be vulnerable because he wasn't willing to even just have a conversation with CC. He instead just was like, go on, scram. I don't need you anymore. And you're like, what? Schmidt, what are you doing? And that was like literally Cece's response. So I just, yeah, he he's kind of baffling at the moment, in my opinion, in this relationship with Cece and how he thinks it's really going versus how it's actually going. I think you hit the nail on the head there when you said that he's not capable of being vulnerable yet. Like, while he may like Cece, I don't think that he's ready for whatever the next step would be. Like, we don't really see Schmidt in a relationship through any of the season one except for Cece. Everything is just maybe maybe it's something more than once every now and then. But then if we even look at when he starts hooking up with Cece at the beginning of their sex-only relationship – all of the loft mates are betting whether it's the same girl or not because that's so unusual for Schmidt. And so while he may like her, I don't think he has processed what it means to be in a relationship. And I don't think he has the trust yet that is needed to really go into that because I don't think it's so much that like, because it's also the shoot that threw him off because it's not just the text. And I don't think we really see him go to shoots very often. Like we saw him once when he drops off the perfume and, but they weren't, anything at that point so I wonder if he's just not ready to have that trust that like this is your job and that's fine because Cece obviously has that trust with him he goes to an office with all women he had a thing with his boss which never comes back up again and there's no lack of trust there so I think he just needs to learn to deal with that and so hopefully that gets better for him Maybe that's that theme of control as well for, for Schmidt, where he doesn't feel he has control in the relationship with Cece because all these other men that he thinks are maybe better looking than him are going to come and 
talk with her because that's just what happens in life. People talk to people all the time. And so he's probably, that's part of the insecurity is not having the control with Cece, but also not being vulnerable enough to explain that. So that's kind of what we hope for him in season two. Like we hope he's able to get to that level of vulnerability. We really like Schmidt and Cece together as a whole. Obviously he needs a little bit of work on himself before he can get there. So we hope that season two brings that and they're able to get into a better spot together. Also hoping on a different note that he gets less involved at Astrat (laughs) Associated Strategies, his company. It's just a very toxic workplace. I don't think that's the right place for Schmidt to be. So maybe we'll see a shift for Schmidt in that perspective as well in season two. Yeah, definitely toxic environment and somewhere that he needs to get out of. And I think maybe that'll help improve some of the other things. Maybe he would be less douchey if he wasn't at Astrat Or maybe he would be able to be more present in his relationship with Cece if he didn't have this kind of toxic environment at work. But we really hope in addition to the leaving of the work, he just becomes a little less douchey. Like maybe some of the stuff that is still funny stays, but some of the stuff that's mean kind of goes away. So that's what we're hoping for Schmidt with season two. And to wrap up Schmidt, his superlative that we're awarding him is most likely to iron his jeans. Cece whispers in his ear at one point to kind of confirm he doesn't have any feelings left and says fresh pressed linens because that turns him on. Apparently he, he also gets a pair of fresh pants that are perfectly creased that just give gifts to him. And he also really, really appreciated that and got kind of turned on by it as well. So he's, he's really a character who likes things ordered and orderly that he's going to be ironing those jeans so they have some good creases in them. (laughs) And since we talked about Schmidt, obviously Cece's got to come next. So Cece was introduced to the season and the show as Jess's best friend. And we learned that they actually grew up together in Portland and went to school together. And we see Cece in a few relationships in this season where she wasn't really treated well, including her short relationship with a DJ and then a longer casual relationship with another model named Kyle. So later, as we mentioned, she does end up starting this like sex only relationship with Schmidt. And like we said, that goes into the study relationship and then they break up at the end of season one. But before like diving into that, like just talking about her and Jess, we know that they've been friends for forever, but I feel like a lot of times we didn't really get to see their friendship play out as much like we didn't really see the best advice from cc and jess doesn't really rely on her the way that we would expect best friends to do and we know that cc doesn't tell jess everything but then even jess in the pilot when she's on this first date with peter she doesn't actually call cc at any point even though cc has told her like hey if the date sucks call me and we'll get out of there or whatever and she's just sitting there waiting for peter to show up And at no point does she call or text her best friend, Cece, which is kind of weird for these best friendships. I would say that the writers in season one kind of were figuring out as they went who Cece was to Jess and how deep and strong the relationship should be and how that should look. If that's not the case, then I'm not sure because that's really kind of what it looked like. Because in episode one, Cece's trying to be like, oh, this is me, like, I'm the one, I'm the friend she should go to. Like, why didn't she come to me? And I think we even noted in that at that point too, it's like, Jess just broke up with her boyfriend. Why did she immediately try to go 
find a place to live that she just saw and was like, oh, I'm going to go live here with these guys. Like, I want to live here. But like, didn't go see what her friend Cece was doing and try to go crash at her friend's house. You know, I mean, it was, it's just, that was season by, that was episode one. But then by the end of the season, they're, they were able to kind of have so much defining things happen to them and their friendship this season, but it just didn't seem that it was like fully like drawn out of like, this is the type of friends that they are. Like it was kind of being determined. Yeah. I mean, I guess I think she does crash at Cece's place for a couple of weeks, but is kind of like shoot out by the number of models that come in and out there. But at the same time, like Cece, if, if Jess is your best friend, shouldn't she take precedent over these models that might be coming in and out and like, they're just probably not as close to you as as Jess is. So I think it's more about like, why couldn't Cece make space for Jess than Jess not lean on Cece? But I feel like the biggest episode that we saw, like I felt like we saw their friendship in true form is episode 11, Jess and Julia, because the way they supported each other, the way Cece had Jess's back, it became very clear to me in that episode as well that they're bucking the stereotypes that like models are like better than everyone else. And like, that's a stereotype we see in TV a lot. And I feel like in that episode, we really got to see the culmination of no, Jess and Cece are friends. And it's not because Cece is tolerating Jess's weird, like, quirky personality. It's because she appreciates it and she's part of it. Yeah. No, I mean, I I loved the moments too, like you said, like that they became those strong friends and we got to see how they did support each other. Even when Jess in, in the um, late at night or something went in her pajamas over to the club, Cece was breaking up with her DJ boyfriend. And so Jess went to go support her friend, no matter what she looked like, no matter where she went to support her. So I did love that they always support each other, despite how Critique and I see the support play out. And despite how it seems like, oh, maybe they were not so supportive in the beginning, but maybe more supportive at the end, it was like, they still support each other and they're still there for each other. And they still, you know, want to have each other's backs, like you said. So that part was nice to see and nice for Jess to have and Cece to have. And... Like, we do see that kind of falter a little bit in Secrets because Jess is mad at Cece and doesn't really support her, and we see where she hasn't supported her in the past, but I feel like we finished the season with that intact, and it's kind of like the normal of what you see with best friendships. You ebb and flow, you'll always get in fights, but at the end of the day, you're always there for each other, and I feel like I'm glad we ended the season with their friendship being strong. Yeah, me me too. So getting into... Cece and Schmidt, we already talked about this a lot from Schmidt's perspective. I think the part from Cece is that she's obviously confused by her own feelings in this relationship. She's not used to like having this kind of a relationship, but I really didn't love how she used Schmidt a lot in this first season. I know it kind of develops into real feelings for Cece, which is great to see. And obviously we love them together, but it wasn't great to see how she was basically using Schmidt until she like admitted her own feelings. Especially back in an episode five, Cece crashes. She really was like, Schmidt, go, go to the roof and do this for me, you know? And so then he got like trapped up there, the bird cat or whatever. And he, that's, he gets sunburned and everything. But she does realize in that episode, like, oh, I was being too mean to him. But like, it doesn't just stop there, you know? And and she kind of teases him, but like not in a cute flirty tease way, but in a, hey, like you're easy to make fun of and I'm going to tease you about it. So 
it was very much using him and not, I don't know, it's like that whole trope of like the schoolyard crush, I'm going to bully you, but I actually like you, you know, but is it really the best way to go about a crush on someone? Um, But that's kind of how I saw Cece feeling about Schmidt for like most of the season is that it's almost like she knew Schmidt was interested in her, whether whatever Schmidt's reasons were, but then played with that rather than engaged in that for a while, but then finally kind of like gave in and hooked up with him and had sex. And, you know, even at the end, like before they get together for real, like when he's going out with Nadia and they're talking about like, you know, foreigners and like that whole scene with Jess on the couch and Schmidt walking in, she actually looks like she would be happy if Schmidt got hurt by Nadia. And obviously that's not the case because that's what ends up making them confess their feelings to each other. But it's, it's a little like, okay, Cece, we got it. Like you're in a weird spot, but like you shouldn't be happy that he might get hurt or something like that. Yeah, she she kind of frequently throughout the season, the way the her perspective of seeing things, I should say, is something that I don't know that I was like, oh, that's not how I would have approached that situation, you know. So maybe that's just me and Cece not really seeing eye to eye. But there's just a few things that I was I wasn't really sure what was motivating her to go about something a certain way. So when it comes to season two, we already mentioned that we hope Schmidt and Cece get back together obviously with a little bit more vulnerability and like willing to work on it from both ends and really be present 50-50. But we also hope that we get to see more of why Cece and Jess are friends and more of those scenes where their friendship really shines through and how they continue that. Yeah, I'm very much excited to see more of Cece and Jess. I also want to continue to get more backstory there and understand what is driving this bond and how deep their friendship goes. So that's what I'm hoping. So with our superlative for Cece on this season, we gave her the most likely to think someone is into you award. And that's really because I think at one point, even Jess says like to Cece that she just thinks everyone wants, everyone wants to sleep with each other. And, you know, we see her throughout this season really telling Jess like, oh, this person's into you, this person's into you. And even telling Schmidt that I think about his boss. And so we felt this was a really good depiction of who she was in season one. Yeah. Cece definitely was always kind of giving her advice, but then the advice she was giving was Ooh, that person likes you. You should hook up with them. Lastly, we are going to talk about Coach. So we didn't forget Coach. Coach was the original fourth roommate in the apartment, in the loft. And while he was only present for the pilot episode in season one, we learned that he really wasn't sure how to talk to women. Also that he's a personal trainer. And at the end of the episode, he helped stand up for Jess by singing The Time of Our Lives, when she got set up on her date. So really quickly, his theme this season for us was he was gone too soon. It was a bummer to like get introduced to coach and then go on with the episode with Winston, which love Winston. So glad to have Winston and new girl, very happy, but could have been interesting to see a little more of who the coach character was going to be. A hundred percent. We get like a snippet of it in a backstory. And so he's not really like out of the writer's minds because we see him in that clip with Nick from the first time like Caroline broke up with him or something. And so it's nice to see he's still integrated, but obviously like it would have been great to see him in more episodes. We understand why he left because he was filming happy endings. But our season two hope is really that 
he comes back in some episodes in the future because obviously the writers are thinking about him. So that would be awesome. I would say too, that if his, if his in season two, if he doesn't come back, like you said, like the writers are thinking about him. I'd love to see some references still throughout because even in the landlord episode, you know, the landlord comes in and goes, where's coach and Brad, you know, and like coach lived there. And then, like you said, in the, in the Caroline, like intervention video, he's like talking about coach as well. And so I at least hope to see continued references to coach in season two. So the superlative that we gave coach is most likely to ghost you (laughs) because he was in the apartment one day and he was gone the next and we didn't really get much insight into that. Exactly. So getting into our next segment, now that we've discussed each character, we wanted to dive into our favorite moments of the first season of New Girl, but also our favorite podcast segments. So we're going to start off by talking about our favorite scenes from season one. So the two that really stood out to me, and these are definitely very early in the season, was when Nick pretended to take his shirt off and naked in front of Amanda. And then also when Jess is like trying to say Caroline's name in wedding and she just butchers it every single time. Those two scenes were so good in season one. I agree. Those are both really classic. Even looking at the whole season, honestly, it was so hard to pick because there were so many good episodes, but this scene like especially how I felt when I was watching it when we first went through this podcast I was like this has got to be one of my favorite yeah no that was good it was a good one and I I too liked the Caroline name messing up Jess was just like really really great in that moment my favorite scenes though were Nick writing on a notepad to text his friend because he couldn't get a cell phone and so he's like yo Kev want to get, get together on Friday you know it was just like really, really simple with that as well. Just like these little moments with Nick. Cause that was like really small scene, but also like Nick drinking the water and then spitting the water back out onto the tomato plant as another, for me, that was just like very adorable Nick moment. I just thought those were really, really great. And then my other favorite scene really truly. And I think probably if you go back and listen to this episode, you'll probably understand Episode nine, the 23rd, when the friends are getting the lights to be turned on on the like holiday street and everyone's excited and dancing around and Nick's missing the airport, like the song that's playing, everything about that scene for me was just perfect. And I, I loved it so much. I love how they're two really different ones. Like the text and the tomato is hilarious, but I also loved the scene with them like being together and getting those lights on because it was so like heartwarming to really watch that scene. Yeah. And I really felt like their friendships got solidified there. Totally agree. And because there were so many great scenes, we also are putting in each section like the top scene that we had that we both shared. And for us, this really had to be the towel scene where. Nick has been using Schmidt's towel for who knows how long. And then Schmidt finds out and calls everyone into the bathroom. Hilarious. Well, and it's to me, the whole episode is in a way that scene because Schmidt is like, my towel is damp. What is happening? You women and your bath products and beauty products, like you're ruining this whole situation. My towel is damp. And then Nick comes in and is like, I'm using your towel. And he makes his whole like statement of like, well, no, I don't wash the towel. The towel washes me. (laughs) And he's just so, so classic of that whole running theme and scene throughout that entire episode was great. 
Yeah, it really did permeate the entire episode. But like specifically when Jess is sitting there saying like this towel is like a ray of sunshine or something, like the way they did that entire scene to like culminate the whole episode because it was right at the end too was just utter genius. It was it was perfect. It really was. So our next favorites that we're going to call out are our favorite quotes that are not Schmidtisms because that's a different our next section. But our favorite quotes from this first season are for me the smartest guy I know. Which I realize I maybe messed up in our podcast episode. I was saying coolest guy I know. I feel like it has the same sentiment, but. As much as I didn't like Dirk, I thought that was just so fun of Nick to be like, smartest guy I know. Smartest guy I knew at the end when he thought he died. So I liked that running bit. But then Jess's line, who do I speak to re-getting things removed from the internet? Was great. It was great. I just, these are two, these lines too are so small in the season, but they were like, really what stuck out to me as classic lines, things that I, we can take back. I also think that like with the smartest guy I know or knew that was like running again through the whole episode, which was awesome because they kept it up the whole time. And I love the internet line too, because it's just like, oh, Jess, like, do you really think things are gonna just come off the internet? Or like, who did she call? Who did she call? Like, you're on the phone. What do you do? I don't know. I loved it. I have no idea who she called either, (laughs) but my favorite moment was also her on the phone because it's way at the beginning. Like her, the quote is like when she's talking to her mom and says the guys she's living with aren't going to murder her because they're strangers she met on the internet. And Nick's just like, yes, I am. And she just like goes back to her phone and lies and says like, no, he said no. And it's just so funny because it kind of like sets the stage for the whole season of like, you know. This is like a valid concern that people would have when you just live with people you don't know. But then the other like top quote for me in this season so far is the I break for birds monologue with Julia because it's iconic. Like the baby farm animals, like everything about that showdown was amazing. Yeah, the I break for birds was really uh, almost at the top for me to choose that as well because it just is so empowering for women, honestly, to be like, I am who I am. I mean, and it is, even though it was like women like Jess and Julia talking and having that conversation, just to just be like non-apologetic for who she is and what she stands for. That's also a classic new girl scene and something just so strong. She has baby check or baby animals on her checks. That's just who she is. (laughs) And together, Kritika and I shared, we really loved the Thanksgiving episode and the quote regarding big time because that moment where Nick and Jess are kind of shouting at each other and saying that Jess was going to have sex with Paul big time she comes in and she's then trying to explain it and say oh um yeah that's a play we're gonna have and we're rehearsing (laughs) and so I thought that was or we both thought that was like a really amazing quote of just this whole big time moment and the way it like comes back right we talked about in a previous podcast how in backslide paul says that he messed up big time when he's talking about sleeping with jess again like that just like solidifies it too because it's this hilarious scene and then they don't forget about the phrasing our next topic is schmidtisms so my top two were the fight about the lotus berry relaxed conditioner as he's like squeezing the conditioner out of nick's hair and then obviously i could not like a the mick mouse scene because that is 
hilarious just watching that all play out. McMouse is amazing. I love it. And also, the like I said, the conditioner and the like mango chutney, like all of that, though, is great as well. My two favorites. There was also so many Schmidtisms. This was one of the hardest to choose my favorites in because there were so many classic Schmidt moments. But I had to go with the youths and the street youths when his tires were taken off his car because... That too is just like a line that just sticks with me and it's so small. But my next favorite Schmidtism was real apps because I loved Nick's facial reaction to Schmidt when Russell's like, it sounds like real laps, like real laps and Nick and Schmidt and their dynamic with that and Schmidt just trying to play it off. Like, I just thought that was the best humor. They, they did such a great job in that scene. I think the Udes is such an iconic line. Like people everywhere could like attribute it back to New Girl. But it should come as no surprise that our top Schmidtism together is the White Fang scene because obviously it was amazing to watch. And I know Kelly obviously referred back to it even before rewatching it for this podcast. Just the scene is so memorable. And and I would say too, in this in this moment of life now that I've been like truly reminded of this white fang scene, it's like I'm saying it everywhere and like trying to pull it into all these moments of my life. This was, I mean, easily the best moment for Schmidt in the end of this first season. Like a true crowning moment for these Schmidtisms. So next is getting into not in 2020. And this is a little different. Like we were trying to pick our faves of all our sections that we have in our podcast, but this is not really our favorite 2020s it's kind of the opposite it's like the ones we think are the worst moments of the not in 2020s I definitely felt that the gendered roles that Schmidt's mom put on Schmidt like how he was ice skating and just kind of like Schmidt's mom how Schmidt was describing her was not really a great way to go about things and just kind of felt like Schmidt was maybe put into a box a lot of times or made fun of for being interested in what he was being interested in. And so I didn't feel that that was a great moment or even though it was not like a live moment, it's something we heard about and not saw. Um, But I didn't think that was a great way to hear that that was the dynamic between Schmidt and his mom. And the fact that like he mentions it in a couple different episodes, the way his mom raised him and how he grew up and most of those, if not all of those representations of his mom were really something we didn't agree with, or at least traditionally isn't something you'd want in a parent. But my like worst not in 2020 was the Wild West party. So obviously this was back in the pilot. So I'm sure there's a lot to pick from here as we go through all these sections. But for me, this really stuck out because it's how the show started out. And while it maybe wasn't a big deal when we were watching it in 2011 or it didn't stand out to us as much, definitely watching it for this podcast, it really set the tone of the episodes and the season, which brought down my rating of the pilot a lot as well, but stuck with me through the whole season, really. I'm still surprised that this first episode of the show just had something that was so like... I don't know. It made my skin itch type of thing. Together, Kritika and I both kind of identified the story of the 50. So much in that episode, especially Benjamin, was 
a not 2020 for us. And I think we talked, I mean, we definitely talked about that in that episode, but that one easily stuck out to us as like, not the highlight of the season. It had funny moments. We got to see about the douchebag jar, but like with the douchebag jar, with everything that Benjamin did, it just really, really brought it down. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely still a very funny episode and we can like separate that from the parts that we didn't love about it. But the whole episode had so many not in 2020s that when we were even talking about it, like, you know, we built the Schmitty on Tootsie Rolls and all of those moments really brought it down. And then also throughout the whole season, the they really played on easy stereotypes and kind of like the fetishization of Cece's skin color and stuff. And so that was kind of a big one that we both identified as a non-2020 that, especially because it was through the whole season, was one we wanted to highlight. So the next section in our podcast typically is pop culture. And so when we went into this one, it was both about like our favorites, but also like stuff that we found interesting when we were looking up to share more about on the podcast. So for me, the top one was actually Frankie Munoz because it's an actor that we have obviously grown up with and known and seen on our TVs for a while, but looking more into him for the episode, The Story of the 50, it was kind of fun to learn more about him as an individual, but then also like to learn about all of this like memory issues he's been having and stuff that I like would never have known had I not been looking it up for this podcast. Mine kind of surprised me when I really went back through and was like, which was my favorite pop culture reference that we talked about? And for me, it was Neil Young in his song, The Needle and the Damage Done, because I just loved how obscure this reference was. I feel like had we not been doing this podcast, had I just been like rewatching the show and just binging through the episodes, I would have heard uh, Schmidt say in the one the one episode where, you know, he's hooking up with Cece and he's trying to say something to her like, no, I don't want to hook up today. And he's basically like, I need you to need me. And it's like Neil Young, yo, like that was the, that was it. That was his reference. And it was like really obscure because what he was trying to say is that it was like, he wanted CC to need him like crack. And Neil Young wrote a song about the needle and the damage done with crack. And it just, I thought it was really, it was really fun to learn about and see the, what the connection could be. Yeah, it definitely was surprising to see Schmidt reference it like that, especially in his relationship with Cece. But the one that stood out for us in pop culture for both of us was the freeze frame and the breakfast club fist pump. And so just the combination of these two, like watching Nick just jump up and yell freeze frame and then the iconic fist pump was really fun to watch and kind of see in this show. Yeah, that that was also another fun one that was one to isolate because it was something that was seen and not spoken but then similarly the other one that we both chose together was that just kind of watching the technology through this first season a lot progressed in this first season because they went from having flip phones and and Nick trying to hold up his phone to watch baseball on his flip phone and then ended the season with like an iPhone that he kind of broke but then maybe got back question mark um but then you know even Jess had had a iPhone and a smartphone by the end of the season. Also, though, we did see Jess use the iPod shuffle. So it was just kind of interesting to see the technology changes through that first season. Especially because a lot of that technology are not things that we use today. And this was only 10 years ago. So it's surprising to see how much we've shifted within that one year on the show. And then also how far we've come in the last nine to 10 years. 
So with guest stars and our favorites, we actually broke it into two. We have a favorite actor that we selected. Like we really appreciated this actor being a guest on the show, but then we chose our favorite guest star and the character that they portrayed. So I'll give you guys one guess. My favorite actor was Lake Bell. It was Lake Bell. Yep, you guessed it. It was Amanda. I loved it. I loved that Lake Bell was on New Girl, but I really wish we got to see her more. Like, I wish she could have been the Julia, honestly. Although I did love having Lizzie Kaplan as well, but wish we could have got more from Lake Bell. My favorite guest star, though, and the character that was portrayed was Justin Long playing Paul Genslinger, the Mercedes Gens. <laughs> I thought Paul just was so fun and and really seeing the like guy version of Jess and just kind of getting his excitement and like way of phrasing things and just how well he blended into the group so effortlessly I thought Justin Long did a great job portraying Paul no one was surprised that Lake Bell was your favorite <laughs> actor but Justin Long was definitely an amazing addition to this cast. And my favorite guest star was Thomas Lennon, who played Neil, obviously very short-lived in this season. But I loved the little lines he brought in. I felt like he added his own sense of comedic flair. And honestly, he reminded me a lot of Jess in this episode and how she moved in and how, you know, Justin's quirky. And I felt like Neil was very quirky like that too. But there's only room for one of them, so he's not as far as I know, going to be continuing because Nick is back. But my favorite actor was Stephen Amell, who you guys probably also guessed from how much I gushed about him during that episode um, where he played Kyle and definitely wasn't my favorite guest star because Kyle was not a character I would want to see back. But Stephen Amell on my screen was very exciting. I was also not surprised that you chose Stephen Amell. Together, we kind of did a joint here. Both our favorite actor and the guest star, the character that he portrayed was Dermot Mulrooney and Russell. While I personally felt like, okay, I'm seeing a different side of Russell in this watch through, I still really appreciated the skill that Dermot Mulrooney brought to Russell's character and just Dermot Mulrooney in general and how his face is just wrinkly in just the right ways. So that's why it was for both of us. So in every episode of the podcast, we typically talk about the guest stars and we cover one to two guest stars that were in that episode. But there was definitely some guest stars that we didn't get a chance to talk about on the episodes that they were on. So we wanted to highlight a couple here. So starting off with Beth Crosby, she played Donna in Fancy Man Part 1. And when we went through, it looks like she might be the trivia announcer when Schmidt Shelby and Winston are going to trivia that episode. And so some of the things that she's been known for are Jessica and Hunter, which is a web series, and then TV shows like Episodes, Dr. Ken and Jonas. And obviously, like, we've seen so many of the actors in this also be on Fresh Off the Boat. And she also did an episode of Fresh Off the Boat in 2019. So it's kind of cool that like, she's another actor that's been on both of these. On a personal note, she actually has a viral TikTok channel called Garbage Mom, so you should go check that out. And then she's also been in a bunch of other TV shows, but there really been only like one episode each of shows like Superstore. Another guest star we missed was Jazz Ray Cole. She played Miriam in Fancy Man Part 2. She's known for 
Jericho, My Wife and Kids, The Quad, and she actually voiced an animal in Babe, uh, the movie from the early 90s. <laughs> uh, she was trained as a professional dancer, but then moved to LA to switch into acting. And we've seen her, some other shows she's been in was Council of Dads, and she's also done a lot of one episode sitcom type style shows that we've seen her in. Next up is Natalie Dreyfus, who was also in Fancy Man Part 2 and played the other college girl, Skylar. So she is known for the TV shows The Flash, Will and Grace, Emma, and Still the King. She's also in shows that you see in like The Originals and also The Secret Life of the American Teenager and also was a side actor in True Blood, which the actor who played Oliver was as well. Now getting into the secrets episode, there was a lot of college age women that Nick was dating and working through, if you will, in that episode. So we're going to cover four women that we didn't originally cover from that episode. So Sophie Cardman is known for her short query. Um, it was that was selected for the Tribeca Film Festival as well because she wrote in she also wrote and directed it. Uh, Susie Searches is another short she also directed. And finally, Soon You Will Be Gone and Possibly Eaten is another short she's known for. She's also known for the movie Rampart. Another actress who played Claire, Rockefeller Abergel, was on Secrets and she was known for the two shorts, Boo and Jackson Love, and she wrote both of those and she also directed Boo. And then she was also side characters in movies like My Best Friend's Girl and Superbad. And like on a personal front, she is an award-winning American-Israeli actor, writer, director, and producer. And she was also in movies like Just Go With It. I don't really remember her in that movie, but I've definitely seen that movie. Yeah, Superbad as well was something I remember her for. Brenda Koo played Willow in that, in Secrets again. And she's known for the movie The Bling Ring and White Bird in a Blizzard and for TV shows like The Crazy Ones and Major Crimes. We've seen her in The Bling Ring and also a lot of one episode sitcom shows. And last from the episode Secrets was the girl who played Megan, Maitland McConnell. And she's known for movies like Curse of Chucky, Killer Movie, Ninja Cheerleaders. And she was in what I think is a video called Privileged. She's also been in a lot of episodes of General Hospital, which is not a show I've seen, but it's definitely something she's been more prominent in. So lastly, not in secrets, from Sia, the doctor that was played, is Timothy Brennan. He's known for movies like Hancock, Sex Tape, Terminator, Termination, and TV show like Henry Danger and Danger Force, where he played the same character in those. He's also been in many Jimmy Kimmel Live sketches for a period of time, but then also originally trained to be a modern dancer. Uh, we've seen a few of his one episode shows and also the movie Hancock and fun to see him in New Girl as well. So next up, coming from our favorites section and just kind of guest stars we missed, we're going to also talk about some trivia and fun facts for the entirety of the season. So first, we kind of wanted to touch on just New Girl and its original development, how Zoe Deschanel really got involved. Because not only did she act in New Girl, she was also a producer. So just before she got involved with New Girl, she was in the process of developing a show for HBO, but then was approached to do New Girl. So she read 
the script and really just fell in love with the character and wanted to play Jess and like really see the television show through. So while Zoe did join the cast, she also requested not to play like the classic style wife character who would be ignored by guys just to kind of keep out of trouble. She also wanted to make sure that Jess was a real full picture of who a woman is in the character. So I, for one, very glad Zoe got involved with New Girl and not this HBO show. Who knows what that was going to be? And we got to see her as Jess in this character. Like, I really think Jess, who she is, and like, is very much Zoe Deschanel. They are two people, but they're kind of the same person at this point as well. We talked about in a previous trivia and fun fact that Jess was almost played by Amanda Bynes, I think. And knowing that Zoe was so close to not being on this show, I think we can definitely appreciate her even more as Jess. The other like trivia fun fact kind of thing that we wanted to touch on is if you listen to our earlier podcasts, um, especially the first couple, we really touched on the theme song because the theme song was different in every episode and it wasn't always just the standard. So we did take a look at this and there's two episodes with Jess alone, eight of the longer episodes that have like the full song or like more of the song in it. And then most of the episodes, about 14, are just the short version. And what I thought was kind of interesting is that if we looked at what the episodes were, we had kind of floated a hypothesis that it could have potentially been based on how much the episode length was, because if they had too much content, maybe they used a shorter intro and shorter theme song. And actually, I think that kind of makes sense, because the shorter episodes are the one that have the longer theme song. And so it kind of works out that maybe they did actually do something like this where they had too much content they used a shorter theme song yeah that's really interesting and it's and new girl i think is interesting to be one of those shows that uses different versions of the same song and how the theme song actually is like a full four minute long song that we've shared on our show notes in a previous episode, but it's just very interesting to see like kind of how the theme song breaks out and how it actually kind of aligns to the time and the length. So while we were prepping for the season one review, we went through and there were a couple different things that we thought were kind of cool over the course of season one and different episodes that we thought you guys would find fun as well. So the first episode, the pilot, this is actually kind of the beginning of the Fredo kiss because Schmidt kisses Nick's arm, which isn't really what a Fredo kiss is, but I feel like it starts the progression towards them. Yeah, we saw this Fredo kiss in episode 15, Injured, and again, actually in episode 24, See Ya. And episode 15 is where we described it as a pop culture reference in our in our podcast. So you can hear more about it there, but it was really fun to see that Fredo kiss kind of be around and like be a common theme yeah and especially since from the pilot because it's also like typically pilots are filmed separately that's what decides whether the show gets to be picked up into a real show or not and with this like I felt like they also kind of changed their styles like when obviously this was a show that aired with commercials on Fox and so whenever they would cut away to a commercial I feel like in the pilot they would cut away and start at the next stage whereas In the later episodes, I did feel more like when we would go to commercial, we'd come back right where we were, but continue. And so that was kind of interesting to see how their style has changed since the pilot as well. In Naked, another fun find that we found is that the captions actually say Nick was speaking in a 
deep voice when it was really just using a deep voice, not Nick. So that was fun to kind of pick up on and, and note. Yeah, and that was like super early in the episode too. It was about like 39 seconds in when they're talking about that scary movie. The next kind of fun find that we have is the Fancy Man Part 2. So, you know, we talked a lot even in the podcast about this like space theme that like in The Landlord, uh, Remy finds in Winston's closet where Schmidt used to live and he has to paint over it. And in episode four, before we've gotten to the landlord scene, the back wall of Winston's is actually just plain white or just like a solid color. But then as we see it in later episodes, like starting with, I think, episode 18, we see that the entire wall is painted with the space theme. So it's like once they introduce the concept of this space wall, they just like put it on Winston's back wall as well. And it wasn't there at the beginning of the season. No, it definitely wasn't. And it was kind of funny how that really became like a plot point almost and then got added in later. Also in Kids episode 21, Jess is saying, stay out of my room. But then the captions actually say, sit in my room, which is two very different things. So another fun caption find. (laughs) And then finally with the last episode, Sia, like around... A minute and like 50 seconds in, Neil's like introducing himself and he says like his name is Neil and both in the captions and in the episode, he like uses quotes and we were like, why is is Neil not your real name? Like what's going on? And then it like continues like we're like about almost a little less than 10 minutes in, you know, when Jess is like throwing her keys I feel like you could actually hear the keys kind of sound like you hear it when Nick throws his keys. And I feel like you hear the same sound when Jess throws hers, even though she actually doesn't. So that was kind of a weird one, too. Yeah, I tried to hear and listen for that. But then I I don't know if I was like picking up on the right sound, but it would be like, I mean, kind of a fun thing if you want to go and check it out yourself and like see that episode again. And then, too, it really was fun to see the actors be themselves almost that scene where they're all kind of hanging out with the moving truck in the desert it kind of just felt like them hanging out not really their characters especially after seeing that like they mostly have a good relationship even now 10 years after the pilot has aired to see like I definitely felt that as well when they were sitting in the desert that it was just so natural for them yeah no it really was and it's and I think too I know that sometimes TV shows and movies get filmed out of order, but by this point, they actually seemed like they had such a bond as castmates. At the end of every podcast, Kritika and I always give you our rating for the episode and our favorite character. So at the end of our season, the season one recap, we wanted to give ratings for the season as a whole and kind of just talk through some of the ways that we've rated episodes through the season. So IMDb gave the whole season an average rating of 7.76, which is all of the episodes averaged together. So if we took each episode's rating and then we average them, that's 7.76. But then the show rating as a whole is 7.7. So we weren't really sure if that was taking into account and just rounding up or if it was like because it is consistent between the two we wanted to just call out like the different ways we were tracking that and from there too my season one rating that I currently give it is a 7.5 yeah for me it's probably closer to an 8.5 I really did enjoy this season a lot especially going back through it but 
when you actually look at like what our average rating was by going in each episode that we've rated so far, the 24, mine actually comes up to about a 7.8. So a little bit lower than I would rate the season as a whole, which is interesting. And like through all of my ratings of each episode, I went anywhere from a six to a nine. I never really went higher than that or lower. And most of the episodes that I rated were actually an eight. Yeah. For me, the if you take the average of every episode that I gave, it's 7.8 as well. So actually consistent with you, we had pretty consistent ratings. Um, But my rating of the episode as a whole, like that I feel today is more like a 7.5. So kind of consistent. It was a fun season for me, but it wasn't something that I was, you know, really loving so much of in many different parts. My range of ratings was anywhere from a six to a 9.5. I also had a lot of like half ratings through this. So I guess that says to me that I was maybe a little unsure of how I was rating some of these things. Um, But the most was a 7.5 and eight and five episodes I rated for both of those ratings. Um, So that's really kind of where I hovered for the season. So based on like what we rated over the whole season, like, our top episode for the ratings um, for me was Thanksgiving and Fancy Man Part 1. And that's episode 6 and 17. But now I would actually say my favorites are the 23rd, which is episode 9, and Backslide, which is 23. Just kind of interesting that like individually when I looked at them, those weren't my favorites. Yeah, for me, the highest rating I gave was a 9.5 for the 23rd, episode 9. I... And I think it's very apparent when, if you listen back to that podcast episode, I really loved that episode. I felt all the good things about it. Um, And now I would still say the 23rd was one of my top episodes this season, but then I also really enjoyed Tomatoes. I thought that one was really, really fun. And Sia. It's just, I love that white fang scene and everything else that's in Sia. Like we were just saying, the bonding that happens is just really, really great. So my favorite character over season one, when I reflected back on it, had to be Nick. I really, really loved Nick. All the little moments, like I said, the texting, the tomatoes, everything. Um, but then when it was funny looking back at through this episodes and like how many favorite character ratings I gave, my top one was actually Jess. Nick was second. And then I also rated Schmidt and Sarah, my little outlier who I thought she was so great for that episode. Um, but Jess was my favorite based on what I had said each episode, but Nick is how I feel today. So it's funny because mine's actually quite the opposite. I feel like Jess is my favorite character looking at season one as a whole. I feel like her progression and just who she is now, like I felt like she was definitely my favorite. But when I looked at my stats on like who my favorites were throughout each episode, my top was a Nick and then it was Schmidt. And it was interesting that like, as far as side characters go, Paul actually showed up twice as my favorite character. And then someone like Cece, who was in more episodes, actually only showed up once. Yeah, no, it's kind of funny how our, our favorite characters have flip-flopped like that. And also how it differs from looking at the person through each episode versus looking at the person through a whole season. Exactly. So this next section is a little bit new to our recap or review because it's actually stats on all of you, our listeners. So we went through our episodes and actually looked at what our most popular episodes are. And it's interesting that actually it's the pilot that's actually the episode that's been listened the most, which makes sense because it's the first one. But then it's Wedding, Kryptonite, Naked, and then Episode 15, Injured. 
it's kind of funny. It's like one, two, three, four. They kind of bounce around in order for the top for the top four. And then Injured was a very popular podcast of ours. Top countries that listen to our podcast are the United States, which is where we're based. So that makes sense. But then there's also Australia and then the UK, Great Britain and Ireland. Total around the world, we have over 40 countries tuning in to Who's That Girl. It's pretty fun. Yeah, it's very exciting to see all this. And also just noting that you all listen on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And like on Spotify alone, it catalogs about over 550 listeners to our podcast, which is so crazy. And even like looking at who is listening, like we get an age range and we see that it's mostly 23 to 34 year olds. So that kind of tracks with who we'd expect to really be watching New Girl and listening to our podcast. So very cool to see. Yeah, very cool. And thank you all so much. We really love that you're tuning in from all over and through different ways. If you follow us on social media, you know that we are always trying to engage with you and we want to hear what kind of questions you have for us. And back in episode 16, we did receive a great question from Instagram user Titus Dominguez48, where he had asked if you could hang out with one character from the loft for a night. Who is it and what are you doing? Critique and I both gave our spoiler-free and spoiler answers in that episode, episode 16 of our podcast. So you can tune back into that to hear our responses there. Additionally, Titus also asked us a couple other questions for our season one recap. First, he asked, what was your favorite episode of the season? Or maybe the one you thought was the funniest or the one you thought had the best storyline? We already mentioned our favorite season one episodes earlier in the recap, But the funniest episode I thought was Tomatoes. I mean, I kind of already touched on this, but Winston's jokes, Nick with the tomatoes spitting on the tomato plant, the butt scene at the end of Jess and Nick shaking their butts at each other. Like, even though that moment was kind of touchy and, and sensitive, it still was hilarious. Like, I thought Tomatoes was easily the funniest episode when you look at the whole the whole thing. For me, it was the landlord, just like watching how far Nick and Jess are willing to go and the fact that they almost had this threesome with Remy just because neither of them were willing to back down. And knowing that Nick had a girlfriend the whole time and knowing that like he's still willing to go to this lengths to prove Jess wrong and how stubborn he is. And even the whole episode starting off with her, in his words, out crazying a man with a gun was hilarious. And that was actually Titus's answer as well when he sent this over to us. For the second part of his question about the best storyline, for both of us, that was really Sia. Watching Nick, for me, grow through the episode and we saw how determined he was and sure of himself and then eventually coming to what everyone else thought was the right idea felt like such a good storyline to watch them explore that for him and go through what makes Nick happy. With the same points you've already mentioned, Kritika, adding on to that, it's Sia, as far as storyline goes, I think that's just a sign that it's a really great show and a really great wrap up to a season to have the season finale be a wonderful like storyline to see. And like you said, Nick was growing, the gang was all coming together and hanging out in the desert. There were cute moments between Jess and Nick with the wolf and the coyote that they saw. And it's just, I like, that's why I also was picking it is just because it was the end of season, season one. And it really did synthesize the storyline for the whole season. 
A hundred percent agree. And the second question that he asked us was, which episode hooked you on the show? So for us, this didn't really apply. Um, for me personally, when I was watching the show, it had already been out for two seasons and one of my friends had already started watching it. So she talked both myself and another friend into it. And so the three of us binged it truly because it was so good that when you have it on Netflix with everything available, it is so easy to quickly go through so much. So I don't think there was a single episode that hooked me on it because, you know, we watched episode two 20 minutes after episode one. For me, it's maybe a little different. I definitely watched this show as it came out. So that means once a week on TV with major gaps in between the seasons. And it definitely, I mean, that's like such old school way of watching television these days, because like you said, Netflix and like binging shows is just so possible. And that's how we're watching the show today. But for me, I guess it's the same where there wasn't a specific episode that hooked me, but I think it's more like the characters are these funny moments. Like even like you said, like the landlord and that was that early on in the season was really quite funny. And then also just seeing who Jess was and moving into this loft and like the quirkiness that, that Jess was the, the, I mean, as much as it's very douchey now, a lot of times it's still kind of silly at times with Schmidt and just kind of seeing his character and just kind of seeing how these people develop their friendship together. I think I was just gen like immediately interested in seeing where that was going to go. I think those characters really were what made me keep watching too, but it's just harder to say when you're binging the whole thing. Another question from a listener that we got was, which of the loft mates do you think you would realistically be friends with? And for me, I'd have to say Jess. I think we've noted before in this podcast that I basically am Jess. I would say that if I really am any of them, any of the characters, I would be most related to her. And I think we both kind of approach things in a similar way. So I think I would most easily be friends and realistically be friends with Jess. For me, it would be Winston, although I totally agree you are very Jess-like. <laughs> and for me, it's because I think Winston would just be the funniest to get along with and, you know, would bring humor into my life. Whereas while everybody else has their own aspects of humor, like I think Nick would be maybe a little bit too grumpy for me to be friends with in real life and Jess might be a little too bubbly for me and just in a different way. So I think for me, the best friend I would make from the loft would be Winston. I, I must be the right amount of bubbly then. So not exactly Jess. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. One other question we got was from at Catherine Figueroa. And she asked us, what is your favorite new girl quote of all time? And so we did already touch on our favorite season one quotes earlier on in the podcast, but stick around to the spoiler section and we're going to share our favorite quotes of all time in New Girl. And that's really our spoiler-free recap on season one. Before we get into our spoiler section, we want to thank all of you for listening to our podcast. It's been so great seeing you guys interacting with us on social media, the emails we've gotten. We really love putting this podcast together for you and we're so excited about season two. We also want to say thanks to Fernando Freire. Fernando is my husband and has spent many, many hours helping us edit each episode of Who's That Girl? And so we really just want to say thanks for his time and effort in helping us. Uh, we also want to say thanks to our friends and family for the advice, feedback, and support of our podcast efforts. So we were just really thankful for all the support we've been getting. 
And it's crazy to say that we've finished season one now. So we're going to get into our spoiler sections. If you haven't watched the rest of the show or you don't want to hear about future storylines, this is your chance to break away. But thank you again. And season two should be out in about one month. And we cannot wait to dive in. So as always, you have five seconds to get out before the spoilers start. So when it comes to the spoiler section of our podcast, we wanted to review the couples that we always talk about, our endgame couples, and we also wanted to see what our episode rating for them was. So every episode for Jess and Nick, we talk about how likely we think they're going to get together based on that episode. And when we actually averaged together the full season, it was a 4.85, which is much lower than I expected, but makes sense because in a lot of episodes, we really rated them like a zero or a one. There were moments that were like really intense, significant moments, but as a whole over the season, there weren't r- tons of bonding moments or lots of chemistry that was happening. Also wanted to touch on, since this is the season one recap spoiler, and we're talking about them as a couple... When do they first kiss? When do they first get together? And that's actually coming in season two. So season two, episode 15 is when Jess and Nick have their first kiss. And season two, episode 21 is when they have their first date. So we're going to get to see more of Jess and Nick, like chemistry, I imagine, leading up to this. And then also them starting to date. So we have that to look forward to in the next season. Yeah, it's very exciting, and I feel like our ratings are going to be so much higher because of it. So our next couple is Schmidt and Cece, and so when we average together what we rated them, it's a little bit higher than Jess and Nick, which kind of makes sense, but they got a 5.1, which again, there are a lot of episodes in season one where Cece is not even in, so it's really hard to like judge that, and it's kind of a skews their results a little bit, but it makes sense that they're higher than Jess and Nick because they actually did have a relationship in the season. Yeah, it's kind of funny because Cece and Schmidt's ratings must be or like are were much more opposites of each other of polarization. Like we've had tens with them, but we've also had zeros with them because when you look at the rating between Jess and Nick, who didn't end up hooking up or like getting together this season, but Cece and Schmidt or did, it's not that much different. But what goes into that and what got us to that point, like, is very different. Yeah, exactly. It's it's definitely more of like ends of the spectrum for Schmidt and Cece as well. And like in a general spoiler, like obviously we talked about earlier that we really want to see them get back together. So we want to note that unfortunately it's not in season two. So we won't be seeing them back together for a little while. Um, it's almost like the end of season four before they really get back together. The douchebag tracker for the season, the rating there is a 5.72. So if you remember, as always, our 10 on the scale means that Schmidt is more a douchebag or the most douchebag, and a zero means he's a genuinely nice guy. And so I think it does make sense, kind of too, as we touched on, like a big theme for Schmidt this season was his douche douchiness and like the way he was objectifying and, you know, made some iffy comments, really got his rating to be a little higher and almost at a like it's 5.7 so a little higher and we couldn't just leave the couples in our douchebag tracker we always have some general spoilers so looking at where the characters actually go so for Winston we talked about his like career and his purpose and then also Shelby so we wanted to look up like when he became a cop and like when he actually 
meets Allie or like starts to date her. So it's season four before he goes through like a background check for being a cop. And it isn't until like end of season five until Allie and Winston really start dating. So hopefully we'll get more of Winston between now and then, but it's going to take a little bit of time before he finds his true purpose. Yeah. And finds his true person. Coach, too, wanted to touch back on Coach since we did bring him up. He does come back, but Coach doesn't come back till season three, episode seven. So that's going to be not in season two, and it's going to be a little bit longer. So we really will have to see if in season two, the writers continue to make reference to Coach and bring him back up. So to get to the spoiler answer of our question, so the question again from Catherine Figueroa on Instagram was, what is your favorite new girl quote of all time? And so my answer to this, if we're talking all time, truly, is probably gave me cookie, got you cookie, because even though a lot of this show I'm realizing I don't remember as much as I thought I did, that line always has stayed with me. And even if the full context of it, like I don't remember the whole episode that it was, but the way their friendship and everything about this was my favorite quote. That's another iconic new girl scene and moment. For me, I definitely struggled with which was my favorite. You know, I was like Googling all the quotes and everything, but I really just had to stick with my gut. The moment in the quotes that I chose was really Nick saying, what are we doing right now? And that's in a moment when he's like, honestly, like mad and like kind of passionately mad at Jess. And that happens both in season one, actually. And I didn't mention it earlier, but it happens season one with the butt scene where they start shaking their butts at each other. And Nick turns around and he goes, what are we doing right now? And later in season two, which I'm really excited to get to, they have this moment where he goes, I just feel so weird in there. And so Jess and Nick back and forth are like, weird, 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 weird. And they're doing weird things to their faces. And it's so great. But it was almost a parallel because in that moment, again, Nick stops and goes, what are we doing right now? So it's not one of the like really funny quotes or whatnot, but I liked that the quote was a repeat and a callback to itself almost. So that's where it's like, maybe not alone is my season one favorite, but together with season two and kind of Nick calling this out in these fight moments with Jess are my favorite. It's long-winded, but I had to give a little more explanation. (laughs) No, I love the context and I'm really excited to get to that scene too because I'll definitely be watching for it now. Yeah, no, it's it's amazing. It's really fun. And it's even funner when you and your significant other start making weird faces at each other too while saying weird. (laughs) So It's a moment, like you said, that has stayed with me. So that is our recap. Again, Critique and I want to say thank you for listening to the season one recap of Who's That Girl? A New Girl podcast. We truly love hearing your feedback and we'd love to hear your feedback on this episode. So please give us a rating. Give us a five-star rating if you feel so inclined An Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this now. Please leave us comments as well. You can also send us an email at whosthatgirlpod at gmail.com or reach out to us on Twitter and Instagram at whosthatgirlpod. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate you. We'd love to interact with you on social media and through email. We've really had so much fun putting this together for you. So join us in approximately one month and we're going to dive right into season two.